featuring interviews and commentary from Animal Rights Zone, the online social network for humans who seek justice for other animals. You can find us on the web at www.arzone.net. I'm your host, Carolyn Bailey. Today's episode features special guest Cameron Blewett and will be joined by AR Zone admins Tim Geyer and Ronnie Lee. Cameron is a vegan advocate from Brisbane, Australia, who's been vegan for almost 20 years after spending many years as an avid hunter. Having served in the Australian Army Reserves, he's also advocated for the rights of workers within the trade union movement and is a keen writer. Most recently, Cam has made the decision to run for a Senate seat in the upcoming Australian federal election as an independent candidate for Queensland, campaigning on issues which are important to the ethics of veganism and the environment. Thanks for joining us today, Cam, and welcome to AR Soon. Thank you, Carolyn. Uh, good morning, Carolyn, Ronnie, and Tim. Hi, Cam. Good morning. Cam, in February this year, you wrote a blog entry posted at CameronBlewett.com.au saying, I formally withdraw my support for and participation in the alleged democratic process of this country. You've obviously changed your mind about that. Could you please explain what it was that changed your mind and the reasons that you've decided to run for a Senate seat in the 2013 election? Okay, that uh, related around the state election that we had. Um, for those international listeners, uh, the former Premier Anna Bly announced to the media two months before the election that the election was going to be held on a particular date and then waited a full month to, uh, to, to put, uh, go to the Governor of Queensland and petition for the Parliament to be dissolved. My complaint was that she basically allowed, she's given herself a two-month uh, lead-in to the election. Uh, she was insulting the people of Queensland by not formally dissolving the parliament until a month after she'd had free reign. And uh, I was uh, uh, very vocal about that, telling the people of Queensland that they had to actually uh, contact the governor because she has called the election and the governor had to exercise her rights as the governor of Queensland to dissolve the parliament. Now, by the premier or the former premier delaying the uh, contacting the governor to 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 dissolve the parliament, it gave her three full days of parliament sitting. In which case, that they were able to, oh, she was able to use her parliamentary privilege to attack the uh, the person who is now premier. Um, I, you know, for the, for the democratic process, she's announced it. She's basically told the people of Queensland, "This is the day you're going to vote," and then she's turned around and said, "Well, hey." I'm going to keep my bat and ball till I decide it's, it's, you know, it's able to be given up. And that's what I was complaining about. Um, I did make a couple of Facebook posts uh, that people should contact the governor, gave the governor's details and said, listen, it's within her right to, uh, as, as part of the Queensland Constitution. No one responded to that. And so basically I sort of had enough and said, well, no, if, if you know, people aren't going to, um, you know, use their right as a citizen to contact the governor and say, listen, the, you know, the, the current premier is doing something wrong, then you know, pretty much you guys have, you know, deserve what you get. Um, after I wrote that post, uh, a couple of people contacted me and said, listen, you've got to do something about it. Um, and I've always believed that you're either part of the solution or part of the problem. And with me just writing uh, the, the political posts that I've done and making Facebook comments and all that sort of stuff, whilst I did think I was part of the solution by 
uh, increasing people's awareness of certain issues, there are some people that really don't care about politics. And if I post something and they, they're not interested in reading it, well, no, there's not much I can do about that. And I decided that um, after, you know, quite a few different people spoke to me about it, that I did decide to run for um, for a political seat and hopefully become part of the solution, not part of the problem by just sitting in the backgrounds and background and complaining about things. So I want to try and make a difference. Sounds good. Thanks, Cam. Okay, Cam, is, is uh, my my question to you, which is when I ask all the guests on these AR Zone podcasts, um, what was it that led you uh, to become vegan and to um, advocate for animal protection? Uh, well, the Reader's Digest of the version of, of the story is I read a book called Fit for Life. Uh, I think this was way back in the early 90s. And uh, some of the things that they said in that caused me to sit down and have a look at what, at what I ate uh, objectively and without emotion. Uh, I decided that, um, you know, whilst Fit for Life wasn't actually a vegan book, it was more diet and uh, food combining, or I think they called it natural hygiene or something like that. I, I can't remember. It's been a while since I've, I've reread the book. Uh, sitting down and looking at what I, I, what I ate and how I ate, uh, sort of, you know, I realised that... Uh, you know, I shouldn't have to live my life by another animal dying, by something else dying. You know, uh, you know, let's you know take um, the meat for a start. You know, an animal shouldn't die for me to pretend to live because um, you know the, the convincing arguments that they made that consumption of animal products does cause to uh, cause health problems later on in life. And so, by this animal dying, you're pretending to live, though you're going to be prolonging your death later on. Um, so originally I went, you know, vegan for health reasons, um, was still, uh, hunting, um, because as I said, you know, went vegan for health reasons, uh, and was still very, uh, probably indoctrinated by the whole, uh, hunting for conservation discussion and things and position that they put up. Um, had an epiphany one night while I was uh, making dinner, cut my finger and thought, no, I'll sit down and read you know, read the shooting magazine that I'd bought because I was going to read it after dinner uh, while I was sitting there sucking my finger because, you know, the old wives' tale is that, um, you know, if you've got a cut finger, you suck it. Um, I was sort of open to the main, uh, what was called, for want of a better term, the center spread photo, which was uh, some guy who'd um, just managed to kill a wild boar in one of the um, areas of uh, Australia and he was sitting there proudly with his weapon on one side and two dogs on the other side of this, this poor animal and... Uh, just happened to have a look at the mouth and there was uh, blood in the photo there was blood out of the mouth of this this pig that had been shot and sort of sucking on my thumb on my finger at the same time sort of uh the saltiness of my own blood and looking at that it was that uh the, the taste and the sight that um sort of caused the uh the light bulb moment for me that um you know hunting was the wrong thing to do as well and then from that time uh, i slowly increased my awareness of the animal rights and ethical issue to um to uh, to where it is today. Thanks, Cam. That's great. Cam, you've you've been vegan for almost twenty years now. What changes have you seen in Australia over that time in regard to veganism and animal advocacy, and also in terms of environment awareness from most Australians? It's becoming more acceptable. And then again, it is also becoming uh, more 
more unacceptable. Uh, there, there's too many people that are running around today that still won't use the word vegan for uh, when they're describing what they do, preferring to, you know, talk about plant-based diets and, um, you know, pure vegetarian or, you know, whole foods or, and, and whatever else. Because, uh, I mean, when I originally went, went vegan, vegetarian was just starting to become trendy. Um, people throw the word vegetarian around, you know, like it means nothing these days. Uh, I I thought that, you know, as time went by, that, you know, people would be more and more happy to actually to stand up and say, hey, yes, you know, I am vegan. Um, I'm not you know, the traditional vegan way back when that was going to be the long-haired hippie living out in the commune in the back of Nimbin or Byron Bay or something like that. Uh, you know, there's, uh, veganism has reached uh, professional status where there's lawyers, doctors, um, po- you know, politicians. There are a couple of former politicians in, in this country that are, are vegan. Uh, I still I think that the more people are afraid to use it, the worse it's going to get. Uh, vegan food is becoming acceptable, whereas the use of the word isn't. Uh, and that, for me, that is uh, distressing. And um, I think something needs to be done about that. Why do you think the use of the word is so unacceptable? Because far too many people are continuing the old stereotype of, uh, of you know, oh, we can't use it because it's seen as harsh and extreme. Well, you know, yeah, big deal. I may be vegan, uh, you know, not eating animal products, except, um, you know, if you continue having, your, you know, your, your Big Mac or whatever it is and, you know, 10, 15 years down the track, you have an open heart surgery for a quadruple bypass, lying on, uh, you know, a surgery table with your ribs open and a doctor playing in your, you know, in your stomach to give you a bypass, that's not extreme. Um, you know, I'm just using a word. You've got a lifestyle that with what you do is going to be more extreme than just me saying, hey, no, I'm not going to eat that. Um, and, I mean, it, it sort of goes along with my environmental position and discussions that I've had is if, if we keep doing what we're doing, we're going to get the same results. We need to change the way that we think about everything, whether it's the environment, whether it's veganism. It, it, we can't, but things have to change. And the way to change it is to say, well, no, hey, yes, I'm vegan. I'm happy for it. Um, you know, I'm sure that... Um, uh, most of you guys will be aware, you know, I've got the word vegan tattooed on my left wrist, um, you know, because it's a thing I'm not ashamed to say that I am one. I'm not a long-haired hippie. Um, you know, there, there's times where I've decided to grow the hair long, but, you know, I've had to cut it because I can't wear my baseball hats that I love wearing. Um, but it's it's a thing. We need to change it. The more people go out and say, yes, I am, and the more that they're professional, the more acceptable it's going to be. Yeah, I agree that the word should be used more often as well. I think it should be used more often by um, organisations that claim to be animal protectionists as well. Um, Could you please speak about the proposed move in Australia from barren battery cages for egg-laying hens to enriched battery cages? Do you think this move, if it's implemented, would be a victory for the hens who will continue to live their lives in cages with wire floors? And if not, why are the majority of so-called animal protection organisations in Australia calling for this move? The short answer to the first part uh, it, it, it can't be seen as any victory for the hens that are part of uh, the animal agriculture industry. It doesn't matter whether the hen's in the, the traditional A4 size battery cage or whether it moves to an enriched cage or whether it moves to a you know, quote-unquote free-range barn. Whilst there's uh, one hen in a cage, it doesn't matter whether it's got four walls or wire, it, it can't be seen as a victory for that hen or any hen or future hens. 
Uh, with regards to why uh, the animal protection groups are, are pushing for that, I think it it can it's so that they can be seen to be doing something. Um, there's a lot of uh, organisations around that don't uh, seem to be too keen on the idea of um, actually stopping animal use. They just want to see gradual improvement, uh, you know, basically so then they can use that as a an alleged victory to try and for, for the next fundraising activity. Um, you know, for example, you know, there was a small increase in cage size years ago and it went into their code of practice that I think um, they haven't completely finished the phasing about that. Um, so, you know, they can say, hey, we got the cage size lifted from, for argument's sake, from A4 size to, you know, A4 plus two or, or uh, you know, a marginal improvement to say, yes, you know, we've, we've done a victory for their hens. So then that gets the people that want to feel warm and fuzzy about the eggs that they eat or whatever, that, hey, you know, these guys are doing something. Yes, I can feel warm and fuzzy about that. There's also the other thing is that um, it could also be seen that these guys are actually creating a, a new market for the industry because uh, they're pushing for, I mean, you know, there could be uh, new labelling that comes out, uh, I'm not sure if there is, um, so I'm just speaking off the top of my head here and using using hypotheticals. There could be new labelling that comes out from your standard cage eggs to, hey, you know, these eggs were laid in enriched cages. Um, and then, you know, we've already seen the cage-free and free-range labelling for eggs. So, I mean, for, you know, for all intents and purposes, they could create, be creating a new market there to make it easier for industry to turn around and say, yes, all right, we'll comply with this, we'll have you know, a 10 or 15 year um, transition period, which is what they normally do for the, ca uh, the codes of practice uh, to make it easier because industry is not going to do something if they have to pay for it. If they can't make money from it, they're not going to do it. And that's just, um, you know, it's just standard business practice. So it shouldn't be just um, picked on. And, and, you know, we, we shouldn't say that uh, animal agriculture is only going to do things if they can make money for it. it. It's every industry is that that's part of business is that you won't make an improvement unless you can make money on it. Yeah, I agree. So it seems like it would be a victory for industry and for the organisations who are advocating for these changes, but not so much for the hens. Exactly. Yep, I agree with that. Cam, here in England, I'm a member of the Green Party, who have by far the best policies on animal protection uh, and on the environment and social justice than any of the other parliamentary parties. What's your feelings about the Australian Green Party, who also appear to have reasonably good policies on these issues? And is there a reason why you're running as an independent and not for the Greens? Um, to answer that part first, um, why I'm running as an independent, uh, I believe that with the way the party structure has gone these days in this country and the way that the media has been influenced by that is that uh, you know you can be the most well-meaning and an honest person politician that that ever goes in you know go in with uh, so much integrity. As soon as you become part of that party system, you no longer answer to the people that voted you in. You answer to the party first. Uh, the reason that I'm running as an independent is that I will be representing the people of Queensland. I won't be representing the party. Um, to, to use an example, uh, there was a, a recent member of parliament uh, from the Labor Party who got up and did a, a, a very passionate uh, and emotional speech in parliament about uh, the use of about live export, 
which is pretty much almost still a um, uh, a very topical issue here after the uh, the 12 month anniversary of the initial uh, expose on it. Now, this politician is a Labor politician. And I uh, asked the animal groups that were promoting her as being, you know, a voice for the animals, how she voted when the vote went through Parliament, oh, I think it was about eight or nine months ago. And I was told that she actually abstained from voting. Now, well, you know, if she was that passionate about banning live export, why didn't she vote against it? The answer was no. She had to vote across party lines. If she voted against the party, she would have been disendorsed and kicked out of the Labor Party. Now that's the problem with party politics. If you can, if you feel passionate about something, you have to vote the way the party votes. Otherwise, you're committing political suicide. Um, and I also think that uh, in this country, that the political parties, regardless of of which one it is, answer to too many hidden people. Uh, whereas as an independent, as I said before, I'll answer to uh, you know to to the people of Queensland that voted me in. If it comes time where there's a bill that goes through that I might personally disagree with. If the people of Queensland tell me that it has to be voted for, you know, in a particular way that might be dis away from what I believe in, then the people of Queensland voted me in and I'll be their voice in Canberra and I'll vote the way that they want. Now, regarding um, uh, why I didn't align myself with the Greens, I know it, it's, it's probably a bit of a, a touchy issue uh, with some people out here, I believe that the Australian Greens are green in name only. They tend to be uh, more aligned with the Labor Party and very socialist in, their, in the ways that they do things. And whilst for some people the whole um, left and right side of politics may be you know, may make sense, and you know you've got to have one side, you can't be you, you know you, you can't be seen to be middle ground. Um, some of the things that they have, um, I, you know, their policies I don't quite agree with. Um, so, I mean, I can't, I couldn't wholeheartedly join the Greens and stand as a Green senator at the next election when there's other parts of their their political platform and policies that I don't quite agree with. Um, I, I mean, I understand what you said, Cam. If, if I say, if, if I tell you the reason why I'm a member of the Green Party, I'd be interested in what your comments are on that so if, 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 if I do that now I mean it basically goes back to I mean obviously I want animal liberation and I want um, and, and that means that that people have to change the way they behave uh, there's two ways in which people um, can change the way they behave uh, the most important way is through is through education, which is why I'm very involved in uh, in vegan outreach, for instance. But I believe there are some people that can't be educated, and so those people have to be coerced in order for their behaviour not to harm animals. And the way to coerce those people is through legislation, so that they're forced um, to behave in a way that doesn't harm animals. And so to get legislation, you need to have a gov government in power that will pass that legislation. And certainly in this country, that means that uh, a, political, uh, a particular political party has to form that government. And therefore, uh, if I want to achieve my aim of animal liberation and I need this, this coercive power, to force the you know the people that that can't be educated 
to treat animals properly, then I need to be uh, part of a political party that has some chance of doing that. That's the only way that that political power can be gained through a particular political party. And I see the Green Party, although far from perfect, I see the Green Party as the best vehicle for that. In other words, for me to do two things. First of all, to try to get the Green Party into power. And secondly, to work within the Green Party to improve their policies on animal protection. So if they if and when they come to power, they can then pass good legislation to protect animals. And that's, that's, that's my thinking behind why I support the Green Party. And I just wonder what your comments would be on that. Uh, I, you know, I can understand to a, to a certain degree why um, you know, people want to be parts of political parties because they believe that the party system is the only way that legislation can come through. Whereas the other thing that you have to think of, especially um, I'm not, you know, please excuse the ignorance. I'm not too um, too up to date on, um, you know, UK politics and, and the political system out there. The way our constitution is written is that it's not designed for political parties. It's designed as, uh, you know, you know, people, individuals in the House of Representatives to form a collective. Now, forming a collective isn't forming a political party because there's certain things that, uh, you know, representatives of uh, a particular electorate may agree with, whereas uh, people in the collective who are in a, another electorate may not agree with it as well. And that gives people the opportunity to say, hey, no, this is going to disadvantage people in my electorate. I'm not going to vote for it. Now, that's when, you know, if you get enough independence into parliament, uh, whether it's the House of Reps or the Senate, then the independents can form a collective and to vote um, on relevant issues the way that they feel that their electorate wants them to vote. Whereas if you do it in a party, then it becomes part of a party system. Um, for example, uh, in, in this country, uh, prior to the last election, the current prime minister, when she was um, you know, in the lead up to the election, vowed and declared and promised that there would be no emission trading schemes in any government that she led. Now, when the election came out, the primary vote, the majority of Australia actually didn't vote for her or didn't vote for the, you know, the, the party that she's gone into minority government with. And, uh, and that was the Greens because it was uh, uh, pretty much, uh, you know, a, a unanimous voice is that they didn't want to see a carbon tax in this country. Now, for her to form a minority government, she had, you know, had to form, um, form an allegiance with the Greens and the Greens agenda was to push the carbon tax and you know she's decided to do that and that's why we have a carbon tax starting in um, you know in a couple of weeks time which the majority of Australians didn't want that's where the party system falls down now but, to but use yep yeah no sorry, sorry to, now the carbon tax presumably that's that's to protect the environment allegedly you, you see you didn't is what's important, what's right and wrong, not what the majority of people want. You see, what if the majority of people in the area that you uh, represented wanted something that involved animal, animal exploitation or persecution? Would you actually vote for that? Would you push that through, even though that was something you knew was wrong? Well, I mean, and see, and that lies the big conundrum of politics. Are you going in for your own agenda or are you going in to represent the people that voted you in? And, you know, whilst it may sound idealist, uh, for me to do what I'm doing is I'm going to represent the people of Queensland. If they, you know, if they want something that 
whilst I may, uh, you know, personally disagree with it, all I can do is what they've done because they've put their faith and they're, you know, given me the responsibility of being their voice in Parliament. And you know, it'd be very, very arrogant of me, is it? Which is uh, a thing that a lot of the politicians these days, both at the state and the federal level, that people are complaining about, is that this politician is just so arrogant. We'll send them, and, you know. They're, they're not voting the way that we want them to vote. They're voting the way that the party wants or they're voting, you know, to keep, you know, whoever else happy, that, you know, whether it's the hidden people in within the union movement on, you know, on the Labor side of party, the politics, or, you know, on, allegedly on the LNP side, uh, you know, big business. And they shouldn't be answering to hidden masters. They should be answering to the people that voted them in. And that's where uh, the use of independents come in because the independents know that uh, if... It, you know, if they do something that upsets the electorate, depending on how bad it is, and if they've done enough things to upset the electorate, then they're going to get voted out the next term. Well, thank, thanks for that, Cam. I won't ask you questions because... Oh, no. um, did, did that answer your question, or was it was I sort of dancing um, around no, it? I, 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 I it different to you. I, I mean, I, I want a certain aim, and which is animal liberation, and I'll take a path which I believe will get it. You know, I don't care what the majority of people want. I want what's right. And animal liberation is right, even if I was the only person in the world that wanted it. And, and I want to kind of carve a path which will lead to that. I mean, obviously, in, in order to get uh, I'd, I'd be a party elected uh, that would, you know, bring in um, animal protection issues, only people have to be educated first because that party isn't going to be elected until a large number of people would actually support that party and what it stands for. So so, so it does mean it, it wouldn't be a case of me being the only person that believed in that. A lot of people have to be educated to believe in that before that party was elected. Um, but, but my aim isn't, isn't really anything to do, to be honest, representing people. My aim is to represent the animals and to get legislation through that would that would protect animals, um, but in in the quickest possible way. I mean, I, I mean that's the thing. I mean, I, I want that as much as the next person. Um, I mean, I've always said, um, and you know, you'd, you'd be able to find it in recent um, blog posts that I've written, is that um, to move away, you've got more uh, a vocal and active electorate has more uh, chance of influencing an independent meat eater to vote a particular way than they do the most hardened and um, hardline vegan political uh, party member because the, this, the, the party member is always going to vote along party lines. Whereas if the electorate is vocal and active enough that they can influence their local member, whether it's state government, whether it's local government, whether it's um, you know in, in the Commonwealth, if they're active and and vocal enough that they'll be able to influence that person and to vote the way that the electorate wants. Uh, to use an example is that the, the Greens, uh, we had uh, our local government elections uh, in, I think, May it was. Uh, there was, uh, you know, the traditional candidates, Labor Party, Liberal Party, uh, Greens, and there was uh, another minority party uh, that was standing for Lord Mayor. I contacted the... All, all four, all three of them. I couldn't find the email address for the fourth uh, person, and asked them about their use of uh, animals within local laws. Whether they'd be able to, whether they'd uh, take their move, 
the position of restricting the use of not only exotic animals, uh, all animals in circuses and radios and things like that within the local government boundaries. Now, one party turned around and said, hey, no, that's the, uh, that's the, uh, the domain of uh, state government. They're the ones that have you know, the control over that, which is uh, a very, very misleading in that because uh, with regards to the use of animals, that is actually a local government issue. Uh, one other party refused to respond and the Greens candidate actually came back with and said that he wasn't aware of the issue, that it wasn't part of the party's platform to restrict the use of animals, uh, you know, either in pet sh sale of animals in pet shops uh, or um, the use of exotic animals or even domestic animals in circuses and radios in, within local government areas. So he'd have to take it to the party first. Now that, you know, that sort of seeing that email sort of reaffirmed to me why the whole party system doesn't work because whilst it's, you know, it's something that he might um, be passionate about, he has to take to the party first. And if the party's stacked, as most parties are, for people that will uh, do the least amount of work possible because, you know, the, the more that they tend to do or the more extreme that they're seeing, then the harder it is to get funding. And, you know, political parties, just the same as everyone, you know, live on money. Without money, they can't survive. And, you know, to get that response from him, um, you know, whilst his candidate is vegan as well, sort of, re you know, as I said, reaffirmed to me that, you know, you can be as vocal and passionate about something as you want. If the party doesn't agree with it, you've got no chance of getting it through to even become, you know, policy of the party. Yeah, I think any better? Um, yeah, kind of. I, I mean, like I said before, I'm, I'm involved in trying to improve the, the Green Party policy as well. I mean, their policy, certainly in this case, I don't think all Green Parties throughout the world have, in different countries, have exactly the same policies. And I think the policies of the Green Party in, um, in England may be better than those in a lot of other countries because they, for instance, totally oppose vivisection, totally oppose most forms of animal abuse. They don't, they don't say, you know, there's going to be, a, they want laws that everyone will be vegan, but they do say that... Um, they want to educate people to, to reduce uh, consumption of animal products. Um, so, you know, their policies are, are pretty good, need improvements in some areas. And I believe that um, if we had more uh, animal, animal protection um, advocates within the Green Party, we, we could improve those, those policies, which is why I encourage um, fellow campaigners to join Cam, what's your opinion on the need for animal advocates to work with other social justice movements, so-called alliance politics? Do you think that unless those other movements embrace animal ethics and veganism, that animal advocates will always end up being the ones who have to compromise their values and goals just in order to get along? Um, as much as I'd love to say there's, there's a definite answer, I think it depends on the, the issue at hand and what you're talking about and what the particular social justice issue is and um, because uh, having spent time in the union movement as well, the union movement, movement collectively is not interested in anything to do with animal rights or, or anything like that um, because it's not seen as something that's relevant. Uh, now this sort of um, you know, really cause conflict within with me because you know the the union movement tends to push uh, equality for workers, uh, you know, and make all these sorts of uh, 
you know, one of their recent things is uh, the improvement in wages, basically saying that uh, wages in a particular industry are, um, you know, sexist because female workers are paid less than male workers well and using it as, as a, uh, um, a gender issue saying that there's no gender equality through through wages and things like that. That's not exactly true because there's, there's males in that industry and they're getting paid the same rate as the females. Uh, the union movement, um, you know, especially in Queensland, uh, which is you know, what I have the most experience and knowledge about, tend to, to try and focus on little issues that will elicit the, the biggest reaction from people and to turn around and say, hey, people in this particular industry are being disadvantaged, even though you know, it, it could be a female-dominated industry, can be misleading. And then um, I've had discussions with some of the most um, you know, uh, hardcore feminists within that union movement, you know, trying to discuss the whole um, you know, issue of dairy farming and even eggs. They didn't want a bar of it. It wasn't something that was important to them because they were, uh, you know, the the way that human females were treated was the way that, the, you know, was what they were passionate about. They didn't want to know anything about the way that females of other species were, were, were treated. So from, from that perspective, it, it just depends on, on what the relevant issue is. And then, you know, it will always come down to it because animals are seen as second-class beings that the animal advocate is always going to have to compromise if they want to get accepted by um, by other other parts of the social justice movement. And that is, you know, one of the things that, that really bugs me. Um, and sort of it, it goes on lines of uh, using, you know, with what we were talking about earlier as well, is that people not using the word vegan because, you know, if these people that were... Um, trying to align themselves with different social justice issues to sort of, you know, use the whole vegan term and said, no, listen, you know, this is it. You you can't go out and get on your soapbox about one issue when there's a relevant issue in another species that is exactly the same. And I know there's days where I just want to walk around with a big stick and whack people on the back of their head and say, wake up. Whereas, um, you know, either individually, collectively, uh, there's, you know, there's too many issues where people are just too blinkered and just see that rather than, you know, as corny as it sounds, the bigger picture that every social justice issue and social movement issue is related to another one. I agree with that. I do believe that um, there should be an acknowledgement that, all oppression is is linked and it's all related and therefore there's I think it's very important to to work toward to work with other movements as much as we can yeah I mean you, you can whereas I mean okay have, have a look at the, the the live export one for a start um, you know we've all seen photos of, of the protests and all that sort of stuff that were going around Apart from the vegans that were actually out there taking photos, we never saw anything to do with veganism. And that was, that was you know, it could have been the most pivotal, uh, you know, social justice issue that this country's ever seen, yet, every, you know, all these other animal protectionist groups avoided the word vegan. Um, yeah, for the, for the reasons that you gave earlier, because it's seen as radical and, and, and they were, I believe that they were concerned that if they were being seen as being too radical 
they'd be dismissed much easier. Yeah, so I mean, okay, how do you, how do you equate that to, um, I'm trying to think, think of, of what a topical issue is. I mean, we do have to work together. We do have to work with other groups because, you know, you know most of us that are, um, you know, in the animal rights movement are doing it for the greater good and we just can't turn around and say, well, no, you know, you're not interested in animals, whereas, which is what other social movements do. You know, you're not interested in animal advocacy, so I'm not going to worry about supporting your cause. Whereas, um, I don't know, for, for some reason, from, from my experience anyway, is that, uh, you know, the ones that have their particular thing, um, that, that they just tend to be focused on their issue and aren't willing to see the bigger picture and the relevance with other issues. So, it um, you know, it, it does mean that, um, you know, the animal advocate, probably does have to, to compromise and, you know, probably just, just push their thing. Yeah, I think I think it's a very difficult issue and I think that it's it's something that should be certainly discussed a lot more than, than what it is. I think that a lot of people that um, are in part of the animal advocacy community do believe that animal liberation is more important than any other movement or struggle. Um, and for that reason, I guess that they find it very difficult to... Comp I don't know that compromise is the right word. I think maybe just to reach out to other movements. I, th I think that I think that it's necessary to do that. And as I say, I think because, you know, all, all oppression is linked. And, and that, that's it exactly. I mean, um, animal liberation is going to be the hardest one to achieve. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's impossible, whereas it's also the thing is that once people wait have their eyes opened to um, animal oppression, then everything else makes sense. Mm, I and, agree with and, that. And that's the thing is that to turn around, so, you know, um, rather than just, you know, pushing, uh, you know, for example, um, gender equality, uh, because, you know, that's something that can be easily achieved and yet people can still be blinkered to everything else, whether it's, it's the rights of workers in, in foreign countries uh, whether it's the rights of Australian workers, uh, you know, in, in sweatshops or, or whatever it is, it, if you can get the, uh, you know, you can get the light bulb moment to go off in someone's mind about, hey, this is the way animals are treated. And as you were saying before, oppression is oppression, regardless of, of what species it is. It's easier for them to, to the flow on effect. Mm -hmm. um, so it's easier that way. Yeah, some people are just too blinking and have their own soapbox issue and don't want to see anything else. Absolutely, and I, like I said, I think it is a very difficult issue, and it's very it's very difficult to know how to do, how to do it. You know, alliance politics is always going to be very difficult. Cam, you're familiar with Ralph Nader, who ran in the uh, couple of presidential elections, famously is said to have cost Al Gore the election in 2000 to George W. Bush. Uh, um, a little bit. Well, people. People say that what the reason that Ralph Nader was running wasn't so much that he actually thought that he could win the election, because in a, as you said, in a in a in a political system that's largely uh, governed by political parties, for an outsider to win an election is a pretty is a, is, is a pretty big long shot. Um, so my question is: Are you running for office because you really think that you? will win or are you doing it to raise issues in a way that other candidates aren't? Both. 
if I didn't think I was, you know, if I didn't think I'd have a chance of getting a seat, then I'm wasting my time. I'm, a, you know, I made the the time that I would be spending campaigning and, you know, uh, creating political awareness about things. I could have spent doing something else. Uh, whether I do get in, that will be depending on the people of Queensland. I believe that I have just as much chance as anyone else. Uh, I also think that with the way the political climate is going in this country, I um, believe I have probably a little bit of a better chance than most of the parties because people are becoming disenfranchised with the party system and that if my um, campaigning, discussions, advertising, whatever, marketing is effective enough, then you know, I've got just as much chance as you know someone else from a political party of getting in. Now, it's also to, in the meantime, to create awareness of the issues of the fact that, um, you know, we've been hoodwinked by the media on a number of issues, that the media does what the media wants. Um, they're not independent. They're not impartial. Uh, so it's to create awareness for, you know, all the, the little issues that I've got, um, you know, that, that are passionate to me. And so, I mean... Um, you know, in the event that I don't get in, I don't get a seat. I've tried it. I've done, given it my best shot. Uh, more people will be aware of other things, the issues that I've raised, whether it gets uh, discussed any further than the election. Who knows? Um, you know, I'm believing that I'm doing the best that I can, and that uh, yeah, I, I do honestly believe that um, you know I could be getting a seat at, uh, in the in the Queensland Senate. Thank you. Cam, oh what do you say to, to anarchists within the animal protection movement who reject involvement in the political process? Anarchy may work for them. It won't work for the animals. You know, we can only do the best that we can with, with the system that we've got to, for the anarchists to turn around and say, well, no, hey, you know, I don't want any government because this, that, and, you know, whatever um, reasons that they've got, to turn their back on the system that we have isn't doing them any good and it's not doing all the, any, the animals any good either. Uh, you know, the systems that we have aren't perfect. It's as if everyone got up and spoke with a voice and said, listen, this isn't right, we need to change it and worked um, within the system to change the system rather than outside to create a new system, things would be a lot more effective. Um, I mean, it, it, it just depends on the anarchist's reason for being an anarchist, whether it's just that they've lost faith in politics, then that's something that, um, you know, can or could be resolved by actually asking them why they've lost faith in it. Have they lost faith in it because they're uh, politically apathetic, that they don't think they can do anything, that they're not aware of the things that they can do? Uh, have they lost faith in the system because... They've seen the, um, you know, to, to use Australia, for example, they've seen, you know, the, the rubbish that goes on in Parliament. Is it because of that um, or is it because that they just don't agree with any form of government and that we should have, um, you know, exercise our free will with everything that we do? Uh, I think, you know, for the anarchists to do it, it, it's one of those things where you have to have the individual conversation with the person to find out why that uh, they believe the thing that they do and the way that they do so that there's not sort of one all-encompassing answer for, for, for every question. I think that's right, Cameron. And I just lead in on from that. I'm, um, therefore, um, 
I presume you, you, you do feel it's very important for uh, animal protection advocates to engage in the political process. Exactly. Um, I've been to uh, a couple of the um, you know, meetings of uh, you know the welfare groups and animal protection groups in this in this state. Um, you know, just to to see what they're going on. You know, what issues that they've got and how they're talking. Uh, one of the the current ones that they were trying to do up here is um, you know an Oscar's Law campaign, which is to restrict or ban uh, puppy mills. Um, the previous government brought out a, uh, a a draft policy that would see um, uh, breeders regulated to a certain extent. Now, the the lead organisation, the RSPCA, promoted, I think it was option D, which basically the way it was going to be worded would cover um, breeders, uh, you know, people that show dogs and things like that. Now, these other animal groups were jumping on the bandwagon because the RSPCA was promoting it and saying, yes, you know, that's that's the ideal way to do it. Whereas without actually looking at the legislation and the draft draft changes, because, um, you know, I sat down and um, had a read of it and that it would only cover dogs after they were six months old. Now, for breeders, they've sold the dog or it's been, you know, it's at a pet shop, it's somewhere else less than six months of age so uh you know whilst the the legislation was seen as a good thing for for ending puppy mills it was you know it was bad because it actually didn't cover the puppies uh i you know i, I made a comment on on i think it was animal liberation queensland that you could you know theoretically breed a hundred dogs a year and it still not be classed as a breeder because the dogs would be uh, you know, gone within six months of, you know, under six months of age, so you're not covered by the legislation. Uh, in line with that as well, at one of the meetings that I went to is that there was a uh, Oscars Law spokesman that came or spokesperson that came up from Victoria and was talking about it. And they said, you know, that they're just restricted and uh, because, the, you know, the council officers couldn't do this and couldn't go and, and see things. And, I, you know, I asked, I said, are you using the other legislation to try and get the same result? And they weren't aware of uh, how other bylaws were for local government areas, uh, what rights, uh, what complaints that they could put in, um, how they could do things. Uh, and so, and I think it, it comes down to the blinkered way that people think, oh, we can only do it this way, rather than using the resources that they have. Um, you know, you might have someone that uh, you can't, uh, make an animal complaint about there's there's probably other areas where they're doing something that is either in breach of the local laws uh, state legislation or federal legislation if they've got a business then they've got to be registered they've got to have um, an Australian business number and things like that if there's too many vehicles coming in then you can turn around and say hey they're not running a home-based business they're running a business from home and that's in breach of um, most of the ordinances in uh, residential areas so it just depends on you know these the people that are in animal movements need to be aware of all the the legislation the regulations that are available to them because if they can't get to one person one way they can get it to another way. Um, who who was the the oh, I can't remember his name the, the criminal at the time of um, the Untouchables? Um, you know he was um, you know known to be an organised crime. The only way they could get him was through tax law. They tried shutting him down through everything else. And it's the thing is that they no, you need not. to look. 
wasn't it? Say again? Was it Al Capone? Yes, Al Capone. I kept thinking yeah. Al Pacino for some reason. I just got, got the hand off of Nana. <laughs> um, and, and that's the thing is that you need to look at every avenue. You can't just say, no, okay, he's in breach of the Animal Care and Protection Act. We need to go after him from that because, you know, yes, that may be one thing. If they're, if they're doing something wrong with one act, legislation, local law, bylaw or whatever, they're probably breaching something in other areas. So as you have to look at everything if you want to have your goal of, you know, getting whatever particular organisation down or whatever um, relevant thing pushed. You know, if, if you want to change the laws, you can turn around and say, okay, for, a, for example, um, you know, breeders or people with puppy mills, they tend to have, um, you know, environmental issues. They could be using a lot of water. They could be doing this. Um, you know, they could have too many um, structures that aren't council approved. You, you've got to find other areas to, to have the same result and to use all the resources that we've got available to us rather than just focusing on one. So, Cam, there are people who criticize the whole idea of animal activists getting involved in the political process because what you're talking about is politics, is the art of compromise, where you have to where you have to use tools and you have to work on problems and you have to do all those sorts of things. But, you know, underlying that criticism is the idea that, that politics, because it is compromised, will never actually achieve anything meaningful for other animals because the interests that are um, so influential on politicians, you know, they hold, all the, they hold all the cards because industry creates jobs and so on and so on. And so they're the ones that are actually getting legislation created. You, you know, so the, so the suggestion is, is, that, is that even becoming involved in the political process is a waste of time. Obviously, you disagree with that, but do you, what do you make of that criticism that because of the way that it's a, a compromise that the rights of other animals can never really be forwarded through the political process? Um, I think it, it's that the, the people that vote aren't taking responsibility for their own vote. If they became more aware and more active uh, without, you know, without running for politics themselves, if they became more active with what they can do politically, whether it's writing letters, whether it's talking to their local member, then things would change. Because whilst industry may create jobs, it's the people that are voting that do the jobs and um, that will go to those jobs. So it's the thing that the individual person has to take responsibility for for what they're doing, their actions, and what they're going to do, rather than just turning and say, "Oh no, you know, I'm not interested in politics because nothing ever gets done because it's always answering to big business and things like that." So it, 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 it's something that the individual person has to take responsibility for themselves as well. Cam, can I ask a question about your environment policy, which mentions the use of biofuels where suitable? How would the biofuels be sourced and Considering where most food-grade oils come from in the first place, do you have an opinion on the use of something like palm oil as a more general matter? Uh, with what I was talking about with, with my uh, use of, of biofuels, that would be oils as a waste product, not first-run oils. Um, I mean, where possible, I mean, they're, they're doing... Um, there's technology available that will make, uh, you know, decent quality diesel fuel for heavy vehicles out of oil. Um, you know, that's not to say that technology in five years' time isn't going to create something else that's suitable for, for diesel vehicles. Um, ethanol is, you know, in internal combustion engines, 
is, uh, you know, a, a valid fuel. It's just that uh, we're still too caught up in the use of uh, fossil fuels and car manufacturers aren't looking at increasing their technology. Uh, you know, for, for, for the, the palm oil thing, there has to be another option. There has to be something else that's available to be used. Um, I wouldn't like to see palm oil used as a biofuel because then that would just increase demand for it. Uh, and you know, we also know that the other issues that, that are related to that, um, you know, there's a whole lot of oils that could be made into biofuel. I mean, who's to say what future technology can do? Okay, so you're, you're opposed to the use of palm oil? Uh, in a word, yes, because um, I don't think that there's enough that's done for, uh, for, the, for the whole palm oil thing because, you know, you can say something's ethically, ethically produced, whereas, you know, what one person says is ethically produced could be um, unethical to another person. And just because there's one body that says, yes, it is, you know, sustainably done, then, you know, you can have a sustainable resource as soon as demand grows, then that resource has to be expanded and it's the expansion of uh, the sustainable uh, use of palm oil that you know, I think leads to uh, the, the bigger questions and the concerns for other people. Okay, um, thanks. You've written about factionalism in the animal advocacy movement. Since you have. <laughs> Since the vision is pretty standard in all social movements, what would be your main concerns about this? Uh, I'd love to see it stop because it's that there's there's too much going on where you know people push for you know as you mentioned before the enriched cages because hey it's something that we can do now. If you turn around and say, well, no, don't put them in the cage in the first place. That's probably a lot more. Um, a lot more achievable if everyone said it in the one voice. Um, is a short-term gain for long-term pain, uh, which is, is what's going to happen with the, the enriched cages and even the move to the, the changes uh, that are being promoted by the d different groups for the, the code of conduct for egg production. I mean, um, is that something that can be a benefit to the animals? Uh, you know, and it, if you have a look if they became more focused on long-term goals rather than short-term goals and short-term quote-unquote victory, then you know, things would be a bit different. And that's what I'd like to see, is that just everyone to be focused on the long-term goal um, because that's, that's, that's where the, the, the most effect can come from and the, where the, the most disunity within the different animal groups is, is that what is, um, you know, what's, What's achievable for one group in long term isn't achievable in another group in the in the in the long term. I'd agree with that. Cam, are there any final thoughts you'd like to leave our listeners with today? A gazillion. Um, <laughs> as, as closing thoughts, question everything. Don't um, don't just because someone says something, don't take it as gospel. Question it. Um, take responsibility when it comes time, especially you know, if, if there's anyone from Queensland listening, when it comes time to put you know, your number beside a box or a tick beside the box, think about where you're putting it and what that means, not for yourself, not only for yourself, for the future of the country, for the future of the animals. And it's that, um, you know, it, it's always been said that, uh, you know, one, one person can make a difference. And then if that one person becomes two, then those two become four and it just grows from there. 
Um, whilst I am one voice at the moment, I do believe that I can make a difference and that uh, you know, I'm more than happy to have discussions with anyone, whether it's online, um, through the different forums, about why I believe that I can make a difference. And for the, the people that are overseas that are listening, if you don't vote, do vote. If you do vote, make your vote count. Don't vote on popularity. Vote on the person that will do the best at representing you at the particular area that you're voting in. And go vegan. Thanks, Cam. I'd like to thank you very much for spending your time with us today and for your insights. And I'd also like to wish you all the very best in the 2013 election. Thanks, Cam. Thank you for having me, guys. Thank you for listening to AR Zone. Please visit us online at www.arzone.net and look for us on iTunes.